welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, a podcast brought to you by Citico, the city centre management company for Manchester and Salford. I'm Vaughan Allen from Citico, and I'm here at the Museum of Science and Industry in Manchester with Sally MacDonald, the museum's director. I also have a cold, so I do apologise if I, if I sneeze and sniffle and snort while I'm talking on this. It's, it's my fault. The museum's part of the Science Museum Group is usually the most visited museum in the city, and for those who don't know, is based around the remains of the first passenger railway station in the world. So, uh, apart from that, Sally, or including that, what's the history of the museum? <laughs> oh, well, it, uh, the museum began in 1969, um, not on this site. It was uh, on Grosvenor Street near the U University of Manchester. And then it was called the Northwest Museum of Science and Industry. It's had more name changes within the same sort of uh, a collection of a collection of words than almost anywhere else. It has, it has, yes, identity crisis <laughs> time. So, uh, so yes, it was set up uh, in 1969, um, and very much as a part of a, 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 a big trend across the UK and and in Europe of industrial heritage museums that were really about responding to what was perceived as a whole series of dying industries. So a lot of uh, big machinery was collected and um, and the aim was to preserve the rec a record of some of those amazing industrial um, uh, concerns that, that really drove Manchester and made it the first industrial city in the world. Um, but it always had a it always had a forward looking uh, aspiration as well. So, if you look back to the what the original the founders said about it, it was it was very much also to inspire young people to consider science and engineering as possible futures, and also quite interestingly and unusually, it was uh, it was there to inspire artists. So. Right from the beginning, actually, it looked both forwards and backwards. So, so who set it up at that time? Was it a university? It was, it was a, co a collection of people from what was then UMIST, um, uh, oh, a, a University of Manchester Institute of Science and Technology and the University of Manchester. Um, and, um, and that's why it was sort of based where it was. But right from the beginning, they were looking for a proper home. They never regarded Grosvenor Street as the as the, the right home for it, and they were ambitious for a proper home. So did it start with a collection from UMIST and the university that they no, already no. had, or did they sort of no, start No, 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 they, they started collecting from, wow. from, from factories that were closing down and so on. Um, and they looked around for a site, they looked at various options uh, within the city and settled eventually on this one, which, as you rightly say, um, is a, a site of incredible symbolic importance, a first passenger railway station in the world the first railway warehouse in the world in the world's first industrial city so it has rightly been called the Stonehenge of the Industrial Revolution uh, so they saw the opportunity I'm going to make a comment about not, not building a road underneath it there but that might <laughs> <laughs> There's a sewer underneath it. We've we've uh, recently discovered, but but no, not as far as we know a road. Um, uh, so they, they they settled on this site, and the museum opened on this site in 1983. So almost uh, 50 years ago. It doesn't feel that. <laughs> no, it's not almost no, 50 years 50 ago, it's 35 years, years ago. Years. I'm going mad. No, the museum was set up almost 50 years ago. 1969 is almost 15 years ago, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then how's it evolved over the time? I mean, how have the collections been directed? Um, because it has such an eclectic set of collections. I think that's probably the right word, it, isn't it? It's yeah. The word. yeah, yeah, it does um, have an eclectic set of collections. Um, 
I suppose the first thing to say is that it's a massive site. It's seven and a half acres. Um, it's now five listed buildings, two of them grade one listed. And when, when the museum decided to move to the site, it was in a, com a complete state of disrepair. So it was a massive volunteer effort to get some of the buildings into, you know, into a fit state to, for anyone to visit. And that really took decades, actually. Um, so they tackled you know, one or two buildings at a time. Uh, so when it opened, um, the power hall, which is still one of our highlights, uh, was a was a big was a big feature really. Um, uh, and then later on, they added things like an electricity gallery, and they and they worked on. I think it was 1988. The first interactive gallery was created, um, and then later uh, pieces of work, big big projects, uh, brought the. The, the the first railway warehouse, the 1830 warehouse, into use. And the most recent kind of big project was opened in 2011, which was um, some of the work to what we call the Great Western Warehouse, which is what most people think of as the main building. Um, but all of these were really big projects because it is such a large, it, it's a, such a large undertaking for a publicly funded organisation. So it's it's evolved quite slowly over over a you know, 35 years. And um, the most recent, I guess, the most recent part of its evolution has been by joining the Science Museum Group in, in 2012. Um, and in terms of the collections, I, I, I guess um, they've, the, the focus has always been on the, on the Northwest and the industry and science of the Northwest. Um, the... The, the museum's been opportunistic at various points, so it was offered the whole of the Electricity Council's archive. So in some some cases, we've got nationally, you know, really nationally national coverage in the in the collection. Um, but the real the really big change in that regard has been joining a science museum group because um, we we now have a single shared national collection. So. Um, there are collections that are stored on this site and there are collections that are stored in the Science Museum in London and at the National Railway Museum in York and so on. But actually it's all part of one collection now and we are starting to use it in that way. So uh, in spring next year, um, which uh, is something we're about to announce, a very, very uh, big uh, significant object will be coming um that's just been acquired by the group uh, uh, up for display here and we'll we'll be doing that fairly regularly from now on so sharing that collection around the country at that at that point because yeah. that presumably that means things from here go down to london as well absolutely frequently. yes and um yeah we're lending objects all the time both both within the group and and externally to other museums um so that's part of the impact of being part of the Science Museum group, but also, I suppose, back in 2011, 2012, when that happened, the initial impact was just in saving the museum at that time. I, I think well, the, 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 the impetus for joining the group was because um, we just had a new coalition government, 2010, and um, at that time, that the government was looking to uh, reduce the number of, if you like, arm's length bodies and the museum the, the museum in manchester was directly funded by government um as a, a regional national if you like but um they were trying to reduce the number of relationships they had to, 
to as an efficiency so they um the discussions took place as to whether the science museum group could could kind of embrace it within the family and that's what happened the um the the questions about um, about funding, which I think you're referring to, came a bit later in 2013, um, when there was a, um, a threat of a major government funding cut that was going to potentially result in the closure of a museum. Um, I don't think it ever really was likely to have been this one, but um, there was a, a, a really passionate outcry against it. This is all before my time, so yes, I'm talking. No, no, absolutely, talking, talking history, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> and, and are things fairly uh, mellow in that regard now in terms of the funding relationships? I mean, obviously, funding is always an issue funding in this is sector. Always an issue. Um, I, I, I guess um, being part of the, the science museum groups brought all sorts of benefits for us. So, uh, in the in a kind of very obvious way we've been able by joining a, f a family of four other museums to make some efficiencies back of house. So, you know, single finance department, HR, all those kinds of things, which are a bit obvious. I think in all sorts of other ways, we've, we've benefited tremendously. So, for example, we can draw on a really um, experienced and world-class science learning um, reputation and, and group of people uh, so we've got uh, got a fantastic schools offer and public programs offer that is informed by you know not only the latest scientific discoveries but also the latest thinking about about science learning um, which we simply couldn't have had otherwise we've also got one of the things I value the most is a, a, a great really tiny visitor insight team so we understand an awful lot about our visitors that we didn't know before and changing demographics changing visitor numbers and, and but not just the visitor visitor numbers the you know who's coming and who isn't coming so all of that is a is a really um fantastic uh development and allows us to be a lot more flexible um in our programming exploring that a little bit i mean uh what are your sort of yearly numbers running at now and and who are those people sort of the divide mm. between school groups particularly and, and yeah. families i mean you've always had a reputation as probably of all the museums manchester museum i, I suppose alongside as being the most family friendly or family yes. attra attractive yes. Yes. Um, museum in in probably in, in the northwest i would think um is, is that still the case and how does a split work for you still the case that um that families the, bi the biggest chunk of our, our audience um but what's happened in the last few years again since joining the group we've done a lot more sort of a lot more adult fo focused programming um and we've seen the numbers of what we call young adults so 18 to 35s um really really increase so proportionately that used to be a really tiny propor proportion of our audience it's now mm, more than a third um sorry is that, is that mostly local or, or are those those tourists as well stud students and um uh, and residents um so in terms of the the education group numbers it's usually about a tenth of our audience so we have about seventy thousand um 
people in education groups, kids and I have to adults. say this morning, it looked... <laughs> it was there were thousands of children it's downstairs buzzing. as I walked. <laughs> it's lovely when you, walk, when you walk into a museum in midweek and there's nobody there. It's really actually quite scary. Yes. Though, though sometimes you get the, the sense that that's when the curators like it most because they actually get to be with the objects and spend some time with the <laughs> objects rather than having to worry about people oh, wandering yeah. around the gallery. Our, our, our curators are pretty public focused because they have to be. Um, but I, but I, yeah. In terms of the where people come from, um, the bulk are from Greater Manchester and the Northwest. But we've seen increasing number of um, people coming for from other parts of the UK and we've now got something like 11-12% international visitors so that's been a massive increase as well in the last few years so the demographic is changing we we always get about anything between 650-700,000 a year um, took a bit a, we've ta- took a bit of a hit last year on our family audiences we're not sure whether that's to do with terrorism or or, or what but we've um, in common with a lot of major museums across the country that seems to be a, a, a bit of a worrying trend actually so um, we're with our holiday program we were doing whatever we can to kind of um, amend that but one of the things about the the, um, the visitor insight that's been so valuable is that we found out uh, that something like 15% of our visitors are coming with an under five which is not really an audience that we've catered for very much in the past and we're now we've now developed a whole load of um, backpacks that families can use and we're um, we're starting to increase our our sessions for for really young uh, audiences in a way that we we haven't really done before yeah i think i think i, I can remember giving the, the keynote at the museums association uh, back in about 2010 i think and was was talking very much about um the importance of a museum cafe as a place where uh, young mums and dads too but specifically yeah. young mums because they tended not to have so much square footage that needed to just be tables so you have more rooms for prams you have more reason and actually some of the work that we were doing at the time and 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 then others would i'm sure were doing at the time as well which was those sort of the baby awareness type things because you have a large foyer and you actually have the space to do these sort of yeah. things and and um, you know, it's not just about about the numbers, but actually about getting people into the habit of being in yeah. a cultural building or a museum building and feeling that they have the right to be there and it's their home. Exactly. They're probably going to keep on coming, aren't exactly. they? Exactly. And I think, you know, we've got, we're blessed with a, a big site, a lot of outdoor space, and... Um, it's not the sort of place where people feel they have to be quiet or that it's uh, it's not okay for kids to run around. <laughs> some of your so, objects are very noisy. <laughs> they are very noisy. So I think, I think in a way, I've worked in a lot of different cultural organisations in the past, but this is one where families tend to feel really comfortable. And, and I think one of the really nice things about here, the same as, I guess, the Manchester Museum, and I, and I can remember uh, going to... Is the National Media Museum still called the National Media it's Museum? It's called the National Science and Media Museum, Vaughan. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> and I can remember going to that and seeing the, the, the famous, um, the blue screen, where you, where you yeah. could get, um, pretend to be on a flying carpet, as it was, which, in, in, in fact, my, my wife's uh, father um, originally installed, as, wow. as, uh, working for YTV at the time and giving them most of that equipment. But actually seeing a young family, um, very working class, very broad Bradford, um, with their kids doing that, and they were talking about their memory of doing it at school to their kids when yeah. we did this. Yeah. Um, and that sort of experience um, was so valuable. You could imagine the kids coming back and, and doing yes. that again. And, and for you, for Manchester Museum with, with the dinosaur and things, yeah. those sort of bonding experiences are It's really, are really powerful. Crucial. I met a, 
a guy um, who was coming to use our conference facilities actually um, and it was it was later on in the one evening and I bumped into him on the stairs and we were just having a chat um, and he was setting up for um, for a big event that his company were running in the museum uh, the following day and uh, he said I've been, I've been working on my boss for the last year because I used you know I always used to come here as a kid I knew it was a great venue and I was determined we were going to come here for our away day and she's think oh that's so good you know you couldn't pay for that kind of advertising no absolutely are you, are you still collecting as a museum and what we are, are you collecting? we are um so uh I, I mentioned we're part of the group now so in a sense we're thinking about our collections across the group in a different way but um we're collecting we're collecting old stuff so we um we've recently acquired a um, this amazing pair of clogs um, from a ragged school, um, and uh, on the bottom of the on the bottom of them is stamped "Not to be pawned." Um, uh, so we want we want to be able to tell the human story of that first industrial city. Um, this is these are obviously Victorian um, is that era. From the ragged school in Red Bank Green Quarter, is it, or is it? I don't, I don't know. Sorry, Vaughan, I can't remember. <laughs> um, but uh, we're also acquiring really contemporary stuff. Uh, so uh, we had an exhibition about graphene last year, Wonder Materials, and uh, that was an opportunity to acquire a whole load of graphene-related products, like a light bulb and um, an experimental graphene-enhanced condom. So those have entered the collection <laughs> <Okay>. recently. <laughs> I'm tempted to ask, but no, I won't ask. Um, <laughs> one of the big moves, I, I guess, I mean, it predated you, but I think it's been reflected across the museum sector generally, is, is certainly even a decade ago, um, a large proportion of the visitors here would be driven by those big blockbuster exhibitions that came in and sometimes sometimes very relevant, but sometimes not particularly relevant, dinosaurs and so on. There's been, there's been a general move, I think, in the museum sector away from those, I guess some, something to do with cost. But mm. why do you think that is? is I mean, is, is that going to be revisited, do you think? Is... I, I think for this museum, I suppose I'll answer first... Um, We'd, we'd, been, we'd been the receiving house for a number of those big blockbusters. We had one on Daleks at one point. Um, but we'd never, despite having these great collections, we never actually generated any exhibitions of our own. And so that was a big thing, joining the group, was, you know, we've got curators, we've got ambition. Um, why on earth aren't we generating exhibitions that are pertinent to today and pertinent to here? So the Wonder Materials was the first big one. We did some smaller ones to kind of gear up. But um, we've uh, we've also been taking touring exhibitions from the group as well. So uh, so it's not that we won't receive exhibitions. It's just that we're, what we're going to focus on is is exhibitions that are about science <laughs> or industry or the interaction between science and industry, which is quite a large. Subject, it's, isn't it's it? It's not like you need subject. to bring in other stuff. It's as a well. big subject. So the next one's on robots and uh, raises a lot of questions about artificial intelligence and goes back. It's got a historical dimension to it, but it it's also the, some of the latest ro robots and, and um, more experimental robots in it. And is that how you go about keeping the museum sort of up to date and, and relevant as well? I suppose there's, there's a couple of things. One, one in exhibitions you can do that, but one is also the collection. The, that you, yeah, you absolutely the collection. And I've said, you know, we and, and sometimes they're linked, you know, in the way that I described with the graphene exhibition, we'll, we'll use a programme to, to do some collecting. Um, 
But I, I mean, it doesn't have to be an exhibition. It could just be the public program. So we're about to launch the Manchester Science Festival annual event, a run across the city, um, and um, we've got uh, programming in that that includes things like you know the latest developments in human reproduction. In scientists talking about about that, we're talking about having a, a exhibitions uh, about. Um, cancer and and cancer treatments and so on. So there's 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 a lot of ways in which you can um, keep your programming fresh. Um, I think and uh, and the, and the, there's also I, I suppose it's about it's about listening as well. It's not just about what you what you put on in the museum. So being attentive to what's going on in the city and uh, and being receptive and and being being a good partner for some of our for some of our businesses so you know, we've we've got some great corporate partners who are you know who want to uh interact with us and want to kind of uh, interact with the public around some of the things that they're doing um and we never well we never you know just use uh our museum as a, as a showcase for one company to do to promote their wares because that would easily discredit us um but um you know we've we've had our, the, the british heart foundation doing some great stuff uh, great interactions with with our visitors um recently we've had um people from the university uh talking about their latest research and so on so i think there's ways if you network within the city well that you can really um keep the program vibrant yeah i was going to ask about the, the sort of the role of the museum within manchester because we, we've explored Obviously, local visitors, which which is really important, and and at the place it has in the sort of the heart and soul of, mm. of, of a lot of those, but also um, we talk about you know being being the first industrial city, but actually with what's happening at the university, you talked about graphene, uh, Manchester Science Park, what's going to be happening at Alderley yeah. Edge? We're actually in terms of the biosciences, in terms of health sciences, we, we are one of the cutting edge cities for that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. So actually keeping on top of all that stuff and then thinking about how to present it is, yeah. is a challenge but is also a really exciting thing. it is i mean it, you know it's, it some of these subjects particularly you know scientific subjects are are challenging to represent i mean they're complex they're abstract um i mean graphene is an example you know it's an invisible material how to do an exhibition about it um but we managed it uh, and i but i think you know the 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 scale and the the sort of global footprint of contemporary science it makes that challenging. It's not just about exhibiting a few old machines, but um, some of those old machines can really help us understand some of the, the current problems um, or challenges that scientists face. And I think I think where we're, where we've got a really something special here, and and that's what's special about the name actually, <laughs> albeit it has sort of uh, shifted over the over the years, is 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 where we occupy the space between science and industry. That is absolutely in our DNA. So I don't think we'd ever do an exhibition that didn't didn't somehow address the real world and you know science application in the real world. Um, that seems to be very Manchester and and very much us. I mean, it's a fascinating problem. All sorts of. Uh 
campaigns and ideas keep coming up and being presented to us and 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 we we hear about which are still sort of very much based in academia and you sort of just go well is that solving a real problem or is that purely an acad mm. academic exercise mm. um the museum has that opportunity to to, to sit between those those mm. two places to talk about real mm. research but actually yes. how is that practicable and, and yeah. how will that transfer to ordinary people's lives yes. yes absolutely and sometimes that's a challenge but it's a, it's a good, good challenge to have isn't it i, I guess the, main, the basic question people have had about i mean when graphene started being talked about what five years ago six years ago um and and, you know, all the publicity came out, front covers of the MEN and, and so on. And it's still, well, when are we going to see anything that's actually yes. made from it in, yes. in day to day? Yes. Which obviously the exhibition can, can the exhibition, that. So Well, yeah, we I mean, exactly. And the exhibition tried to highlight the fact that um, it wasn't didactic didactic at all it was much more about what are the possibilities getting people to think about what the possibilities were um and at the moment a lot of the uses of graphene are about enhancing existing products and making cars lighter or um or you know making um you know uh, thinner condoms or whatever you know these are real world issues um or or, or making um uh, making better phones or whatever. Uh, there, there were the graphene dedicated graphene products will come, I'm sure. But um, but essentially, it's about understanding the potential of 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 how they how they can interact with existing products. So they may not look that different, but they do different things. I remember writing as a journalist about virtual reality. It must have been 30 years ago. Oh, this new wow. thing. Actually, that was even before the web. So I remember <gasps> remember writing about the web in its earliest days. Um, and of course, it's only now that we're starting to see it as really, well, the last couple of years, as a really a consumable item. Yes. Um, you know, it seems to take yes. a very long time. Um, for businesses, which is most most of the audience at this, obviously a lot of their interaction here will be around corporate spaces and, and events. Yeah. Um, so how does that sector work for you? I mean, is that continuing to grow, continuing to develop? How, yeah. do, how do you keep up? I mean, you know, every hotel has an amazing corporate offer. Every, yes. you know, there, there are more and more places to go for events and more and more challenging, more, uh, more and more challenging market. So again, how do you keep on top of things and, and ahead of the market I th there? I think, I think what, what's in our favour is that um, we have these great spaces and, uh, and people often say they, you know, they love to come and, uh, just sit in a place that doesn't look like a hotel room, uh, and we've got these incredible timber, you know, timber beams and and lifting equipment in some of our some of our spaces. And a lot of companies uh, will choose to combine a a conference with a reception in one of our galleries, sort of early evening or something like that. So again, they, we can do something that's a bit different and special, uh, and we we want to develop that and offer tours and, and and demonstrations as well as part of the package so I think the way forward for us is in is in capitalizing on what we have you know when you know we've got the spaces we have that we're not we're not going to be competing in the same market as some of the um, some of the bigger hotels um, but we can offer something that's unique um, and what proportion of your income comes now from sort of the corporate sector and revenue that you generate yourself uh, Hard, hard to answer exactly because we're now part of the group and a lot of our our, our functions are group wide. But big, big chunks of our revenue on this site are um, are from you know, venue hire, corporate um, corporate events, um, also from donations. So we've got we we have sponsors of particular events. So fantastic set of sponsors for the Manchester Science Festival. Um, some of our exhibitions we had some great sponsorships um for um and then um a, a really big development in the last 
few years has been uh, individual visitor giving. So instead of just putting a donations box at the front of the museum, and we do have a donations box at the front of the museum, we welcome every visitor and um, ask if they'd like to make a donation. And um, from a standing start four years ago we now make about 300,000 a year in unrestricted income from that so for a publicly funded organization like us that's a big slice of money people are incredibly warm and generous um if you take the trouble to to welcome them properly and 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 make make the point that if they make a donation they're helping to keep the museum um vibrant i think that's something that even even five years ago museums were very unwilling to do weren't they yeah. so it's actually yeah. quite a bit of a leap in the dark to yeah see are people willing to do that yes <laughs> <laughs> just very glad it's worked i mean you talked about the manchester science festival you talked about that a couple of times um obviously that has grown hugely in the last few years um what, what are your ambitions for that where do you, th where do you mm. think that can go um well yes it's 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 now the um biggest most popular science festival in in the country by quite a long way so we had 136,000 people visiting it not just in on here on this site but to yeah, venues across the city it, it? exactly it's it, it's it's embraces all sorts of venues um the ambition is really uh, to grow um grow the reach uh, and the profile so by grow the reach i mean that despite the fact we've got uh, 50 or 60 venues participating each year across the city it's tended to be uh, for the most part in the city centre centre of Manchester and we're very much thinking Greater Manchester now and um, and making sure that there are events happening in in some of the outer boroughs uh, so that's a big ambition for us is a greater inclusivity um, geographically I guess and in terms of our reach and then the other part of it is about about increasing the profile because I think that one of the great things about the festival is it's grown from the grassroots. You know, it's it's ten years and it's grown and grown and grown and grown. And people have, you know, we've got more and more ambitious. But um, but we've we've probably not um, done enough to shout about it and to uh, think about some of the key headliners and international links that we could make. And I think that's that's probably um, that probably the next step. Cool. And finally, more generally, what's next for the museum? What are the big projects coming up? <laughs> from this big object, which you're not allowed to tell me. Um, about. A big object, yeah, yeah. Announce it soon. Um, there, there's a whole raft of, of, of uh, exhibitions and programmes, um, but uh, I think what, I'd, what the main thing for me and something that we're very focused on at the moment is, is a really big transformation of the site. And I mentioned that that's been a challenge, you know, throughout the museum's history, really, because it's so large. Um, it's such an exciting time for this site because of all the developments around us. So we've got the Audsall Cord um, going across the end of our site. And we've got, um, in the next few years, the whole development of St. John's and the factory alongside us, which is just going to transform the area completely. Um, one of the things we're looking at is opening up the site. So you came in through our front door, which is the only entrance and exit at the moment. We want to make the site um, more of a cultural quarter and have several entrances and uh, really ensure that our outdoor spaces is fab fabulous big yards um, for the goods yards for the for the depot um, become f really lovely public squares and um, 
so there's that there's the transformation of our outdoor spaces but also um planning some really major galleries and um development of some commercial spaces around that so that we we make we make it into a, a museum quarter rather than just a museum with a with a what is effectively a wall around it um and so the the ambition is really to transform the site by 2030 which is the 200th anniversary of um of the railway coming to the to, to this to this place yeah it does i mean in terms of the sort of orientation of of the museum it, you know castlefield is a thriving place but it it feels odd that it has got its back to yeah sort of sort of to deansgate which has always been successful but obviously now with spinning fields with all the developments around there it's got its, its back on on all of the things that yeah. are bringing thousands and thousands of people into the city exactly and um, there's a tremendous opportunity to connect all that with castlefield and the, and there are historical links as well and reasons to create those trails through from the castlefield base and across to the bonded warehouse which we can see out of our windows um, which was always part of this the, the railway site so there are there are there's a historical narrative and there's also really great reasons for connecting people up and, and encouraging people to wander through excellent thank you very much sally and we'll be talking to about other and two other cultural venues in the near future if you have any comments or ideas for things to cover in the future, you can talk to us on Twitter at CottonmouthMCR or through email on podcasts at cityco.com. Cottonmouth Manchester is available on iTunes, Acast and SoundCloud or direct from the source at cityco.com podcasts. Leave a review, leave us some likes if you like what you hear. Until next time.